This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. Um, okay, so tonight we're, we're in Elul, we're deep in Elul, a few weeks before, um, a few weeks before Rosh Hashanah. So the subject matter, we really have to talk about tshuva. Um, last week I really slammed you guys over the head. I don't slam you over the head twice in a row. Not in Elul, anyway. So tonight we're going to talk about a little bit more of the upside of tshuva. You know, some people told me after last week that they don't know if they could do tshuva, maybe the tshuva won't be accepted. So I spent the Shabbos, Baruch Hashem, learning from Perak Aleph to the last Perak in Hilchas Tshuva in the Rambam. And there's some points that I would like to um, to talk to you. Usually, I, I, I'm usually not looking into text when I when I speak. I know that some guys lose concentration when I'm looking into text, but there is a lot of text that I have to cover tonight, so I will be looking in um, a lot of the time. You'll have to excuse me. Um, I would like to say thank you to TorahAnytime.com. Baruch Hashem. Um, I think we have about probably a hundred, sometimes a hundred people in my Chabura Tuesday night. Well, TorahAnytime.com plays this Chabura that we have every Tuesday night in Queens and um, on, on a Matzah Shabbos. And you think, you know, Matzah Shabbos, people go out. Well, they go to watch this year. And they're over, this past month of Shabbos, there were over 200 people at the Shear. So I think maybe what I should do from now on is have you come to my house during the week and we'll tape the Shear and then maybe we'll have 200 guys in here. Maybe it's because I'm here that a lot of people don't want to show up. I don't know. But anyway, we want to thank TorahAnytime.com. Um, I got a call from Eretz Yisrael today from a boy in Eretz Yisrael. He said, Rebbe, you know, uh, you got to tell him to load on your Shear. There's still those two first Shear. I said, no. They loaded on like another six of them. He said, really? I'm going to my sister's marriage. She has, uh, what's it called? Computer. I'm going to my sister tonight to, you know, to watch it. So you can go there to Israel and you can watch it. And they're spreading not just my shir, but all the shirim. And, um, I'm sure Kishbach will give them a big schuss. It's a big schuss because calling and listening on a phone is, is very good. Don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But when you see a person's face when they're speaking, uh, maybe not my face, but most people's face when they're speaking, it's, um, it's what's it called? It's it just it's more like a live share, and you get a lot more out of it. There's no question about it. Um, anyone who can help them, they 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 need to buy some more of these cameras so that they they really want to cover everybody's share in the whole United States. Whoever wants to be on Torah, and if any of you guys want to give a share, you can talk to him. You never know. But whoever wants to be on, so they need more cameras and they need more guys. So um, whoever can help them, it's a very very big mitzvah. Baruch Hashem, imagine, I'm watching Shabbat, instead of going to the movies, I'm the movie. That's my dream all my life. <laughs> I'm the script, I'm the only actor. It's like, wow, fantastic, okay. Anyway, Baruch Hashem. That's the only reason there's technology in the world, is to use it for the right reasons. Okay. So, um, Hilchah's Tshuva. So, let's look a little bit inside the Rambam, so that we understand we have two weeks left, you know... It comes Rosh Hashanah, everybody thinks you have to do it, you should do tshuva on Rosh Hashanah. You gotta do tshuva before Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we're judged. It's a little late. So we have another two weeks, we gotta hop right. Now's the time to do tshuva, not once you stand in front of the judge, you know, and all the evidence and everything is in, it's too late. You gotta get, you know, the, a good lawyer prepares his case, not when he comes to the judge and he says, okay, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll hang out, and I'll, whatever comes to my mind, I'm going to say, that's not the lawyer you want. So, so what we need to do in the next two weeks is to prepare ourselves for, for Din V'Cheshmer. I don't think anyone in this room realizes, you know, because Baruch Hashem, 
some of you are 20, some of you are 30, some of you are 40. You've gone through so many Rosh Hashanahs, nothing happened. You know, I know I was bad. I did a lot of sins and I didn't do tshuva. I'm still here. You're lucky. Doesn't mean that next year it's going to go that way. You have schus maybe something you did that year. But it's not a guarantee because for 22 years you're here that the next year you're going to get the same stamp. You know, l'chaim. There are a lot of people that are never not here this year. Thousands. Tens of thousands of people that died this year. That didn't get stamped last year, l'chaim. So it's a, Rosh Hashanah is a very, very serious thing. We have to take it very seriously. And you know, there, there are guys who cram for tests. I'm one of them. You know, that uh, the day before you take your test, you stay up all night. You don't eat, you don't sleep for two days, you know, and you cram and you pass. And you pass, sometimes. Most of the time, depending on the test. But there's a problem with this when it comes to tshuva. And the problem is that the Yetzirah who's the, the other lawyer, he's going to make sure that the last two days that you intend to cram, you're going to be sick. There's going to be something going on in your business. You're going to get so busy, you're not going to get a chance to do tshuva. So if you have time right now, I feel it's very much an easier time. The closer we get to Rosh Hashanah, the more the other side tries to make sure that we don't do tshuva. So right now, I think we can still sneak in without the Sahara giving us that hard a time because most people don't do tshuva until the last second. Mamash shall Rosh Hashanah. And it's too late. So let's learn a little bit about Hilchas Tshuva. He says the following. Kol mitzvah shebetayra. Any mitzvah in the Torah, ben asay, ben loisase. Whether it's a mitzvah to do, keep Shabbos, right? Or mitzvah loisase. Don't wear shotness. All the, the not to do mitzvahs. Im ova adam lachas mehem. If a person does one of them, he either does not wear sitzes, does not put on his tefillin, he doesn't do the mitzvahs, I say, or... He's Mechal Shabbos. He does the he does the Lois Ase. Whether you do it on purpose, whether you do it on act by accident. Kishiyasa Chuva, when you when you do Chuva, Vyashav Mechatai, and you and you you ask forgiveness for your sin. You have to admit. You have to admit in front of Hashem what you did. Because it says in the Torah, Isha Isha Kiyasu, when a man or a woman will do an Avera, Vihisvadu is Chatasam. You have to admit your sin. Asha Asu Ze Vidoy Dvarim. This is Vidoy Dvarim. This is admitting it through words. When you sit at night, not just thinking about what you did wrong, say, Hashem, this is what I did wrong. And, and whatever you could remember, you should write on a piece of paper, make sure no one gets a hold of it, they'll use it against you, but write it on a piece of paper and, and, and say to Hashem, this is what I did wrong. I had a miserable summer, I went to this and I went to that and I did this and I did that, and admit it. A girl called me today and she said, I need to meet you, Rabbi Wallace. I was in the mountains. I said, I'll be, I'll be in tomorrow. She says, my Yitzhahara tells me that for the stuff I did, I'm, I'm not going to be forgiven. Is that true? And she says, I know that you say that, you know, the Rambam is true. I don't believe Hashem can forgive me. I did such bad stuff that I don't think Hashem could forgive me. So I'm thinking, what am I going to tell her tomorrow? I'm going to meet with her tomorrow. I'm going to tell her. It's very simple. I'm going to play father and let her play daughter. I'm not going to tell her to tell me what she did wrong. But I'm going to tell her to think, if you came to your father, if you came to your father and you sat down in front of your father, you're his only child. You're his dream. You're his, you're, you're his extension of what's going to, his life. And you sat in front of your father and you said, Dad, I stole from you. I did this to you, I did this to you, 
But I honestly am telling you what I did, even though you don't, you know, you, you maybe you do know what I did, but I'm admitting it to you. But I really am really sorry, and I, I can't believe I hurt you like this, and I'm going to do whatever I can not to do it again. There's no father in the world that won't forgive his child. So what, I, what she has to understand is that that's the mindset that we have to have. Not this bitter, angry God with rules, and he's going to burn you, and he's going to... Gonna, gonna throw you into the deepest hole and they're gonna rip your eyeballs out and, and you're gonna turn into wormwood and he's our father. So as long as we go to him as a Vino Malkeno, as long as we go to him as our father, then he will treat us as a father. But if we don't go to him as a father, then he won't treat us like a father. So if you can get to that level, if you could understand that Akash really is our father, I mean, he's, he's the only partner that in the natural world doesn't leave us. The way we were created is that we're all going to lose our parents before us. That whole generation is supposed to die before we die. Every single person is supposed to be cottage for his parents. And his aunts, and his uncles, and his grandparents. So, so sort of planted in our DNA, in our spiritual DNA, is being able to deal with losing the generations above us. Because th- that's the way it's supposed to be. Chas v'shalom the other way. If a parent loses a child, that's something we can't deal with. But, but we're supposed to lose our parents. That's natural. That at one point, they should be 120 and you should be 100. Right? But at one point, you're going to say Kaddish for them. That's the way we're created. There's no, there's no way around it. So there are three partners in a person. There are your parents and there's God. There are three partners. There's only one partner that's guaranteed to always be there. That will never leave, that you'll never lose. And that's our Kosh Baruch, and that's the partner we try to get rid of first. I, I was dealing with a lot of kids this summer, and I, and I said, there's no, no Shiloh that, do you do Averis first, or do you get rid of God first? What, what's the order? What's the order in a person? You, do, you, do you do a lot of sins? And then you say, ach, there's no God? Or do you say, ach, there's no God? Now I can party. And every single kid I spoke to said, first they get rid of God. First decision was Orthodox, Judaism, how do I know? You know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in Hashem. And nobody, listen to me carefully, nobody that I ever dealt with in 30 years of Chinuch told me that they got rid of God and became a better person. Not one guy. In other words, I used to steal. I used to hang out with girls and married women. I used to do drugs. But now I became an atheist. So now I gave up stealing. I don't do drugs anymore. And I don't go near women. I became holy. I had 30 years. I've never met someone like that. And guess what? In 120 years, you won't meet anyone like that either. No one gets better after they get rid of God. So the objective is, the Yetzirah wants you to get rid of God. I don't Prove it. Prove me, Rabbi. The minute a kid comes to me and says, prove me God. I'm like, so what are you doing? What's happening? What's, where's the party? What do you mean? I'm like, come on. You don't need me to prove you God. You know there's a God. Where's the party? You gotta get rid of God. Because without a Baruch, you can do whatever you want. Then, then, if there's no God, why can't you eat people? Oh, that's immoral. What are you talking about? It's immoral. It's not immoral at all to eat people. In the Amazon, they eat people. They're called cannibals. They take a look at a guy. Yeah? Check him out. And he's lunch. You come for lunch, you become lunch, right? Cannibalism is going on for a very long time. Now, if you go to a cannibal and you say, are you crazy? 
this guy's lunch? You just took a human being, you chopped him up, and now you're having him for, for lunch? You bunch, you're a bunch of, you bunch of animals. you right? Savages, right? That's what we'd all think. Savages! They look at us and say, are you crazy? Savages? It's the wild kingdom, right? A lion eats, right? A wildebeest, whatever they, whatever they show on planet Earth over there on television, you know? For kids, the poor kids, they're watching television. The parents leave the house, they leave them watching animals, right? And then they show them lions ripping deers apart and hawks ripping eyes of animals apart. And the kids are like, Mommy! And there's nobody home because, you know, you leave your kid watching television. But in the wild kingdom, animals, you never saw a lion hunt down an animal and then walk by and say, eh, see, I'm stronger than you are. He, he kills them to eat them. So the cannibal says, I'm hungry. And you look like a good piece of steak. So I'm going to chop you up and I'm going to eat you. But you guys, in World War II, how many people got killed? How many human beings got killed? Right? Just on the beach alone, on D-Day. Hundreds of thousands of American soldiers and not one person ate them. Look at all those beautiful bodies, all those steaks. Nobody ate them. So they say, the cannibal says, you guys are animals. We kill people to eat them. You just kill people for the heck of it. You go to war. You kill hundreds of thousands of people. You drop bombs that blow up Hiroshima, a whole, a whole, a whole country, and you didn't eat one of them. So why'd you do that? You are the savages. We are not the savages. You kill people for no reason. In America, how many murders there are, gang murders, because the guy said the wrong word. My cannibals, they won't kill you if you say the wrong word. They might eat your left finger, but they're not gonna eat your whole body because you said the wrong word. But they're not gonna kill you, right? So, so what, why? And the answer is, because if a person doesn't believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then we can do whatever we, whatever we want. If you really believe in a God, there's a God in the world, then there's a Bein Alma Chaviril, then the whole thing changes. If there's no God in the world, there's nothing wrong. Why, why are you any different than a lion? You're hungry. You have nothing to eat, so kill the guy and eat him. There's nothing wrong with it. So, the first thing that the Yetzirah does to us is he tries to disprove HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's right away when these questions come into your head. How do I know who's before God? How do I know there's a God? How do I know the Jewish religion is real? How do I know this and how do I know that? Think about why do I need to get rid of the Jewish religion and God? What's up? What's going on? What do I really want to do? And if you could figure that out, then you'll understand that it's not a lack of believing on Krishna Baruch Hu. Again, no atheist ever became a better person by getting rid of God. But a lot of people got old to become much better people by finding God. And that's the Kayach of an Avera. An Avera, every sin that we do, there's a little teeny bit in that Avera that we don't believe there's Hashem. Because the truth is, if you really believe there was God, and you really believe He gave the Torah, and you really believe He's your Father, and you really believe that He's the Creator, and He's the one that gives you life, you couldn't do an Avera. So, every Avera that we do, there's a little teeny bit of lack, right, of believing there's HaKadosh Baruch but not every Avera. There are Averas that are Averas based on Taiva. Because I know there's a Hashem. I believe there's a Hashem. I know He's going to be angry at me, but I can't control myself. So those Averas, the Averas of Taiva, those are Averas that are not based in the lack of belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're busted with dumb. We're meat. We're, we're flesh. We have, we have our, our weaknesses. And the Ramam is going to talk about it. There's a very big difference between these two Averas. And the, and the Ramam is going to talk about it. But he says that everybody has to know that you, should, you can talk to God like you talk to your father or your mother, whoever's better to you. I don't know, in your picture, you know, I said, Avinu Malkin is going to be very scary. 
guy hasn't spoken to his father in 10 years. He gets up on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. He says, Avino Malkeno. He says to Hashem, Hi, Dad. Hashem's like, you're not talking to me for the last 10 years. What do you mean? So sometimes Avino is not the... But your mother or your father, but it's that type of relationship to understand that you're the only child by Hashem. You're considered the only child. If you're the only child, you can tell him anything. He's not going to hurt you. You can tell Hashem anything. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to call the police. He's not going to call the, 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 the sheriff. He's not going to tell your parents. You know? Never ever did it happen that a, someone told God something he did wrong, and all of a sudden a voice came out from Shemayim. Mr. Schwartzberg, the kid just told me the last Shabbos, he turned on the light. There's never, never such a, there was never such a bot call from Shemayim. So your secret is safe. Probably the only, the only being in the world that your secret is safe with is God. So Kosh Baruch Hu says, just tell me what you did wrong. And the reason that we have to say it, Dvarim, is that when something comes out of your mouth, it makes it real. It makes it real. So when you say it, when you say something, when you say, Hashem, I did so, I did this and this, I did so and so, and that's why on Yom Kippur, we say, Al-Khayt, 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 Al-Khayt. You could just sit there in your mind and say, you know, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. No. Because by saying it, you make it real. And he says, the Ramam says that, The person who says more and more about what he did, and he spends a lot of time, he is, he is, he is praised. Okay. Now, we're going to skip to the other side, and he says the following. So you shouldn't get, you shouldn't be miyayish, you shouldn't give up hope, boys. He says like this. In our day and age, she ain't based on kayim, there's no base on Migdash. We don't have a Mizbeach. Ain't Shom Ela Tshuva. The only thing we have left, left is, is Tshuva. Now listen carefully. Hachuva, very important for all those watching. Listen carefully. Hachuva, repentance, asking for forgiveness. Mechaperes forgives al haaveros on all sins. Afilu rasha koyamav. Even a person who is bad and wicked all his life, all his days. And at the last minute, he does tshuva. When he gets to the next world, they will not remind him of one Bad thing that he did wrong. Shenema, like it says, Rishas Harasha, Lo Yikashal Bo, Biyom Shuvay Mirishai. The wickedness of the man who is wicked, he will not stumble on it. He will not be reminded on it on the day that he does repentance. The day of Yom Kippur forgives you for the Averas that you did. Even the day without doing tshuva. As long as you keep Yom Kippur. Even the day of Yom Kippur is Mechaparas. The word Hasatan, Hasatan, which is Hey Shin Teth Nun, equals 300. Shin is 300, and Nun is 50, and Teth is 9, and Hey is 4, is 364. Hasatan only has control in the world over 364 days. The 365th day, which is Yom Kippur, Hasatan has nothing to say. Yom Kippur is a day without the Satan. There's a big question on that. How do people do Averis on, on Yom Kippur? So there's a very deep answer to that. In other words, Hasatan is 364. It means that when Yom Kippur, when you stand Yom Kippur, everyone here, I was, I'm in Israel every Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, even the most irreligious on Yom Kippur, 
keep Yom Kippur. There's no cars in Israel. There's no buses. The lights aren't on. The red light, you know, the red green lights aren't on. The radios aren't on. The televisions aren't on. Yom Kippur is because the Satan has no control on that day. Has Satan. Three sixty four. So, how do people not keep Yom Kippur? The guys who smoke on Yom Kippur and eat on Yom Kippur, how is that possible? So, I heard a very deep answer, and the answer is that a person who does averos three hundred and sixty four days a year, he, he becomes part of the satan. So he does, he doesn't need a satan. It, it's part of him. In other words, he, he, how do I explain it to you? It's like the lahavdal, the drug dealer. Right, so he gives the kid for free, for free, for free, for free. After a while, he doesn't have to give him no more because once you become a drug addict, you don't need the you don't need the drug dealer anymore. You're going to go looking for it. So the satan, he's a drug dealer. Every day he sells you do this, I better do this, I better do this. But when you do it 364 days, when he when he owns you, then you're not even he doesn't even have to whisper in your ear anymore. He doesn't have to come into your head. It's you. It's you. It's not him. It becomes part of you. You become like that. You know, like like we learned when you go to the next world, it's very scary. You are in the next world, but you are in this world. And if you're a ganaf in this world, you're a ganaf in the next world. And, and 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 if you're a guy who runs after women in this world, you don't know exactly what that what, understand. But that's your yetar. You walk around; everybody sees it in you. In the next world, there's a famous story with this this um, big tzaddik. I said it once before. This big tzaddik, and he went to this inn, and he and he gave the guy to watch his, his all his money, all his gold. And came Matzah Shabbos. He came to the owner, and he said. I want my gold back. You know, I gave you to watch. He said, what gold? You never gave me anything to watch. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, what are you talking about? I gave you my gold. Anyway, that night, he stayed in the inn, and he davened to Hashem, and he, and, 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 and he prayed, and he went to sleep, and in, in his sleep, Elion Navi came to him and said to him, your gold is buried behind the inn. There's a graveyard. In the graveyard is this guy's father, and behind his father's stone, that's where you'll find all your gold. He got up, he woke up in the middle of the night, he went to the gravestone, taka underneath the gravestone, that's where it was all buried, he got back his money. The next day, the next day, when he was leaving, he had all the money back, he said to the owner, this guy, the owner of the inn, he said, I know that you stole my money, I found it last night by your father's grave, how did you know that, 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 that you know, that, how did you know to, to hide the money, the, the whole plan, where did this whole plan come from to steal my money? You know, you, you seem to be an honest, upright guy. He says, what do you mean? Friday night I had a dream. My father from the other world came to me and he said to me that this rabbi, you know, who gave you the gold to watch, steal it and hide it by my grave. He'll never find it. And that way you'll be rich. You won't have to work anymore. He says, what are you talking about? Your father's on the other world. He knows what's good and bad. He's on the other world. He knows good and bad, right? How could he come back to you and tell you to be a ganaf? He says, where was your father in this world? He says, my father was a ganaf in this world. So the Avaz Chaim says, what you are in this world is scary. You are in the next world. You can't help it. Because it becomes part of you. And Avera can become part of you. Tshuva takes that, that clothing, that, 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 that thing that you're wearing, those Averas, and it takes off that cloth. There's a, there's a very beautiful, I don't want to go too much off the derach here, but there's a very beautiful marshal, which, uh, which I learn every year, because it's so, so true about Rosh Hashanah. He says that there was this peasant, and... Um, he came into the city. He's getting married. He's getting married. So his father gave him money. He was never, never in the city. He lived in a village. His father gave him money and said, go to the city and buy yourself a suit. Getting married. And then come back to the village. Nope. He comes to the city. There's a thousand stores. He doesn't know what's flying. Right? He asks somebody, you know where I can buy a suit? He says, yeah, sure. Brooks Brothers. You know, a nice big store. 
You can go there, you can get yourself a beautiful suit. So he comes in, and uh, the tailor's over there, and he sees hundreds, thousands of suits in the room. He says, Ivey, where do I start? So the salesman walks over to him, he looks at him, he says, you look like a 42 regular. That rack from that corner to that corner, the top rack, it's all 42 regulars, any suit you want, try it on. So he looks, and he's, that one's nice, pulls that one out, that one's nice, a black one, a blue one, striped one, he goes to the waiting, he goes to the dressing room with 10 suits. He's only gonna buy one with 10 suits. He tries one on, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Comes back out, he's huffing and puffing, he's all for schwitz, he's all sweated up, takes the 10 suits, and he hangs them all back up. And the guy, the guy from Brooks Brothers says, I don't understand, these are, these are our finest suits, why? He says, you don't know what you're doing. The kid tells the, the, the guy, the salesman. He says, you don't know what you're doing. He says, what do you mean I don't know what you're doing? He says, those suits don't fit me. They're much too small. He says, listen to me. You're not a short, you're not a long, and you're not a 44. You are, someone wants to listen to the share. You are a 42. I know my customers. He says, listen to me. I tried on 10 suits. Not one of them fit me. The guy's like, I got to see this. Come, let's go to the dressing room. Takes off a 42. Sorry. Takes off a size 42 and goes into the dressing room. No. The guy takes the jacket, the, the pants off, tries to pull it on. He says, what are you doing? Take off your old suit. You can't put that on over your, 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 your farmer's dungarees. You got to strip down, take off your jacket and take off your pants and then put on the suit. He goes, oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, of course the 42 fits. So Dugan Magin is the one who says the story. He says, people come Rosh Hashanah, guys. Hashem, a new year. I'm going to change. New year. I want to learn. I want to dive in. I'm going to put a tool. I'm going to keep Shabbos. Ah, ha, ha. And it doesn't work. And every year he tries it, and it doesn't work. And every year he tries to change, and it doesn't work. And he doesn't understand why. It's because you keep trying to put the new suit on your old shmatas that you're wearing. All your averis that you did till now, your old, the new suit's not going to fit on that. First, you got to do tshuva. First, you got to take off the old schmutz and the old garments. Take off the old garments. The new one, the new year is going to fit like a glove. But people don't realize that. They're busy trying to start. I want to have a good year. Dip the apple in the honey. We're going to make lots of money. You know the song. I don't have to tell you. And they don't realize that first we have to get rid of all the schmutz that we have from, from the year before. Anyway, so he says over here the following. So he says that, that you should know that tshuva is mechaper on all of theirs. And if you sin your whole life, even the last second you do tshuva, it'll be accepted. Okay. Now, he says the following. He says, Even though tshuva is mechaper, forgives for everything. And Yom Kippur is mechaper. But he says, I want you to know that there are various that Hashem forgives right away. And there are various that take a while for Hashem to forgive. For instance, he says, if a person does an avera mitzvah say, but the mitzvah say is not punished by kares, and he does tshuva, Hashem forgives him right away. He says, a mitzvah say, a loisah say that doesn't have kares, and doesn't have misas bezdin, and he does tshuva, so the tshuva is accepted, but he has to wait till after Yom Kippur. He says, an avera, that there's kares, right? For instance, persons with a girl who's a nida, a person who's mechal Shabbos, without, without witnesses, right? He says, tshuva, Yom Kippur, and pain. He's gonna to have to go through some pain. That will give him, um, that will give him kapara. He says, but Chil Hashem, a person 
who is Mechal Hashem, which means he does a sin, and people, Jew, non-Jewish people or Jewish people, he, he disgraces God's name in public. He says, by him it's not so simple. He says, when he does tshuva, he needs tshuva, Yom Kippur, pain, but he also has to, until he dies, until the day of his death, he's not Mechapar, but the day of his death, he's Mechapar. So, so uh, no matter what Avera a person does, no matter what it is, yet sometimes it's accepted right away, sometimes he needs Yom Kippur, sometimes he has to go through some pain, sometimes he has to wait till he dies, but Hashem is willing to forgive every single person. Okay. Now, Kol Hamasvada Bidvarim. This is very important. We all get up on Yom Kippur, Achei Shechatanu, Hashamnu Baganu, I'm sorry I spoke Lashon Hara, I'm sorry I looked at things I wasn't supposed to, I'm sorry I stole something, I'm sorry I answered my parents back, all the different Alchei that we say. But we don't mean it. It's just lip service, right? Anyone who admits his sins with words. The Loigomar believe but he doesn't mean it with his heart. He says he is compared to a person who goes to the mikvah with a dead rat in his hands. So as long as you're in the mikvah with the dead rat, you're Tomei. You can keep going down all you want. If you're holding the dead rat, you're still Tomei. You gotta let go of the rat and then go down into the mikvah. So he says, the person who speaks and says, I want, I'm doing tshuva, but his heart, he doesn't really do tshuva in his heart, then he's considered like a person who's going to the mikvah with, with, with a rat. He says, therefore a person has to, when, when you do your tshuva, whatever it is, whatever small avir, whatever you do is accepted by Hashem, but it should be done, the person should do it with his full heart. Okay. The 10 days between Rosh and Yom Kippur is the best time to do tshuva. And your, your tefillah and your tshuva is accepted right away. He says, that's by a private person. But when a tzibah does tshuva, then a Kodesh Baruch Hu, um, accepts it right away. He also says that no tshuva or Yom Kippur is machapa, only on averis that are between a person and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If a person eats something that's not kosher, he sleeps with a woman he's not allowed to, any of these Averis, he says HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be Mechaper. But Averis that a person does between him and his friend, until you get Mechila from your friend, you steal something. You steal a thousand dollars from your friend. Then you go to Hashem and you say, Hashem, please forgive me. He's still going to give the guy back the thousand dollars. If you don't give him back the thousand dollars, you're not forgiven. If you embarrass somebody, right? Guys who are dating, you have to be very careful. You don't embarrass the girl. That, that even if you know right away the second you see her that there's no way this is going to happen right you know that in your heart you still have to give her a good date she still took a shower and got dressed and was excited before she met you maybe she's thinking the same thing about you right you don't know but it's not right I, 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 there's a guy who told me he took the girl out he took one look at her he said this is going to be a 20 minute date you can't do that to somebody a girl got prepared mentally and physically to go out she's excited and now because you take one look at her, you don't like her, you see 20 minutes, where's he been on the chavero? She knows that when, when you drop off 20 minutes later that he didn't, how could he know, how could he know me enough not to like me? Must be he doesn't like the way I look. Girls are not stupid, right? 20 minutes, you don't know her. So the only reason you dropped her off in 20 minutes, or the only reason you're like, um, you know, at the door and you, and, and you see her and you don't like what she looks like and you say, I'm representing my brother. He sent me here to tell you he can't make it tonight. You understand? They, they hop. They know what you're trying to do. You understand? And vice versa. Girls are much nicer. There are many times they go out with a boy and they're like, no way. But they sit there for four hours and they talk and they're nice. If they've been on the chavero, you have to be very careful. You hurt somebody's feelings. You know, a guy can go out with 40 girls and he can hurt 20 of their feelings. He's going to go to Shemayim no matter how big a topic is. He's not going to be forgiven. He has to get mechilah. Or to fool a girl, to tell her things because you want to get to her. 
and you know that you're, you're, that you're lying, it's Ganevas Das, you can't pay her back for that. You can't pay her back for that. First, has to be very careful. You have to get Mechilabin. On the Chaveri says, the whole Hikos Tshuva, the Ramah, the whole Hikos Tshuva, you can throw in the garbage. You can stand on your head, you can fast, you can do whatever you want, you can admit it, you can jump on, you can stand on your head, you can do whatever you want. You're not forgiven. All everything that he says you're all, that you're forgiven for any avera you do, it's only been other than makom. It's only between us and Akashbarchu. Between you and another person, you're not forgiven until you got mechila. Forget about your parents. You gotta get mechila before Rosh Hashanah. From your parents. The guy told me he didn't speak to his parents for six years. So what did you do? What did he, how, how could his last six Rosh Hashanah have been any good? He didn't ask them mechila. You have to get mechila from your parents. And don't take from them, oh, you're my son, of course I'm my, uh, you know, I don't have to be mechila. You, know, you have to be mechila. You have to get mechila. He says it, you have to get straight out mechila. It's very, very important, but especially dating guys. You know, we have a way of not being sensitive to girls. You have to be very sensitive. You take somebody out, spend the time, be nice, talk to the person. It's, it's another human being that spent time, that got excited. You know, she never, she, she got excited every day. She thought, guy's coming to my door, he's it. Every day, this, he's it. And then you spend 20 minutes or half an hour or 40 minutes. It's not there, Kharit. So you can say, when Rabbi Wallstein, one guy said to me, I'll tar v'sicha, Misha. <laughs> Rabbi Wallstein, I knew she wasn't going to be my shidduch, so I'm not allowed to talk to a girl. Listen, I got frog. No, I'm not allowed to talk to a girl. Tar v'sicha, Misha. I'm like, no one said you have to jump on a lap. Sit on the other side of the table. <laughs> talk to her. There's nothing wrong with it. You have to, you have to have, a person has to have we have to be very sensitive to other people's feelings. Especially in dating. Guys who are dating have to be very careful. And even more especially than in dating is in marriage. Because in marriage, we already take it for granted. We don't open the doors anymore. You understand? We already take it for granted. Guys told, told me the other week, see, it's three months after I got married and I still open the door for my, for my wife. I was like, you're saying it like it's a big chiddush. He says, yeah, like how many guys do you know that are married that open the door? Said, they're right. They're right. In the old days... 50, 60 years ago, there was no such thing as an American man not opening the door for a woman. It didn't exist. So, so for some reason, while you're dating, they're a woman. After they're married, I don't know what you consider them, but you're not opening, but you're not opening the door for them anymore. So there's a certain amount of derech you know, when we get used to somebody, uh, probably the biggest mechila we have to get ever Rosh Hashanah is from our wives. No question about it. There's no question about it. And chas v'shalom, the tear of a woman, the tear of a wife, Someone told me this week, the tear of a wife can break a man's parnasa. Totally. Your own wife can break your parnasa. If you cause her to cry, if you cause your own wife to cry, that cry, that tear will break all your parnasa, all your work, and everything that you do, her cry, her tear. And, and we know we hurt the people who are closest to us. We're very nice to other people, but the people that are closest to us, those are the ones that we hurt. So we have to be very careful. Even more than the girl that we date, because our wife is a girl that we're dating every minute of our life. Every minute of our life we're dating her. You married her. You promised her share. You promised to be there for everything. Your mom is dating her from the, from the chuppah till the day you die. You're dating your wife. And if you, and, and, and if you considered your wife like you were dating your wife, you'd be a lot more attentive to her and you'd be a lot better person. A much better person. So we have to, we have to be very careful. And he says it. He says it in Paris Bays. He says, if you don't, if you're not going to get mechila from Benal Machavero, you're in big trouble. Because Baruch Hu can be mechaper anybody, but he can't. But he can't be mechaper you for what you do to somebody else. Okay. He even says, If a person did something bad to his friend and his friend died, before he asked mechila, 
He has to bring a sarab and a adam. He has to bring a minion, um, amidim, al kivroi. He has to stand on the, on the person's, uh, grave. He has to get up in front of these ten people and say what he did to this person. If he stole money from him, he has to give it back to the, to the, the people who are inheriting. You have to be very, very careful what, what a person, uh, how you treat somebody else. Okay. Then he goes into the next paragraph. He says, every person should, we'll talk about this next week and have a good story for this. Every person should think that you are going into Rosh Hashanah exactly even. That right now we're exactly even and every mitzvah that I do is going to get me on the good side of the scale. He says, not only that, you should think you're even. Then you should think your whole family is even. So that if you do a mitzvah, you're tipping your, your life and your family's life. Then you should think your whole town is even. Then you should think your whole country is even. Then you should think the whole world is even. So the person should go to do a mitzvah and think that if I do this one mitzvah, I'm saving myself, my family, my town, my country, and the world. Now, if you thought that way, you do a lot more mitzvahs. And I have a very good story about it, but we're going to wait, we're going to wait, mitzvah until next week. Okay. Um, These are the people who do not get a chalik in the next world. Who are they? Haminim, Abikarsim, Koifrim Betoira, Bekoifrim Tchias Amesim. And we'll explain what that means. People who say there's no Tchias Amesim, people who say there's no Mashiach, person who's Machtia Harabim, a person who causes the Rabbim to sin. Um, okay, so he says the following. He says, What's, what, is, um, what is a Min? He says like this, the following. A person who says that God, there is one God, but he's of human body. That is a person who's called, um, who's called a min, and he doesn't get a chilek A person who says that Hashem is not one, there's more than one God, he doesn't get a chilek A person who bows down to a star or a mazel, right? So he's also considered a min. And Apikairis, who says, a person who says that Moshe Rabbeinu, that there's no such thing as nevuah, he says that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have a nevuah, that a person who says that God doesn't know what um, what people are thinking, he's also considered not be kairos. Uh, a person who says there's no Torah from Hashem, Hashem never gave us the Torah, that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it himself. Uh, a person who doesn't believe in Torah Shabbat Peh. Person who doesn't, okay, all things that the Chatsham, none of us have to really worry about, no one's in this, in this cloud. Okay, now, I just want to jump to something very interesting. He says here like this. I don't have time for this one. Okay, listen to this carefully. And we'll end with this and then I'm going to go into a different subject. A person who's about tshuva, a person who wants to change, shouldn't think that he's far, far away from the attributes of a tzaddik. He's like, Rabbi, you know what I did? A lot of guys told me this today. Rabbi, you know how far I am from you? You know how far I am from being a tzaddik? Rabbi, you know my past? I'm such a sinner. Says the Rambam, that about Chuba should not think that he's far from a tzaddik. He says this is not true. He is loved and he is cherished 
in front of God. Like he never ever sinned. He says, not only that. His, now this is interesting. Uh, again, have to be, I have to be very careful when I teach this to you. Because you could learn something very bad from this. So I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna translate it. And then I'm gonna explain it. Nobody walk out until I explain it. Okay? Just listen carefully. Not only this. Ella, you should know that the, the guy who did Averis his whole life. And now he's doing tshuva. His reward is great. Why? Because he knows what a sin is. He tasted the evil and he walked away from it. The tzaddik never tasted the evil. So in other words, a guy who did drugs and he went to rehab and he's clean for 10 years is greater than the guy who never did drugs at all. Because the guy who never did drugs at all never walked away from it. He never tasted it. The guy who was a drug addict and he walked away from it is on a much higher level. The guy who sat in a casino and played his whole life and gambled and made money and lost money and he was into the whole thing and he walked away from it, he's much greater than the guy who never gambled. What's the big deal? You never tasted it. You never won a dollar in your life. What's the big deal? That you walked away from it. But this guy walked away from it. Says the Rambam, you're greater than the Tzadik. Now, you're all thinking... Okay, let's go party, right? Because we're going to do drugs, we're going to gamble and girls and all that, and then we'll give it up, and we'll be bigger tzaddikim, right? That's what the Rambam says. The Rambam is very clear, I think in the second paragraph, that if you do an Avera with a Cheshman, in other words, you do a sin, but I have a Cheshman while I'm doing the sin, you'll never get a chance to do tshuva. You'll never get a chance to do tshuva. So what the Rambam is saying is that the person... He wasn't religious. He came from an irreligious home and he ate lobster. And he ate shrimp. Right? And now he walks by a lobster house. And he remembers how delicious it tasted. Like butter. It was delicious. He's like, not going in there. His schuss is much bigger than Rabbi Wallace. He walks by lobster. To me, they look like big red roaches. Right? They're disgusting with those big antennas, you know? They throw them in alive. The poor thing's jumping up and they're like, you know, I went to in, in, in the mountains, so the shop right, you know, in, in, in Liberty or whatever, in Monticello, Liberty. And I walked in there, this big fish, with my kids, this big fish tank. These lobsters never hit it, you know, and their claws are tied. I'm like, ooh, huge roaches. Like, and you know, and you have these ladies with the, with the, with the thing, with the tongs, you know, and they're like, hmm. And the thing's wiggling with his eyeballs popping. And I'm like, how could you eat that? Right? How could you eat that? So to me... I'm not excited that I don't eat lobster, but to this kid who was brought up not religious and he went to Lobster Fest, you know, and, and he sat there and he ate lobster and now, and now, you know, he's not eating it. So to him, it's talking he's on a much higher level than I am. But not that I should go eat lobster and say, okay, you know what, I'll taste it and then I'll, I won't eat it anymore. You'll never be able to do chew on something like that. So kids who come from irreligious homes can, can hit a much higher level than kids from religious homes. They don't realize it. They say, oh, all that. Now, there's a, there's a second side to it, though. But the guy who never ate lobster doesn't have that tumor in his body. There's, there's two sides to it. But the person who eats, who ate lobster and now does tshuva, he also doesn't have the tumor. Because what does it say in the beginning of the Rambam? That after you do tshuva, ain't by Avera Klaus, gone. So the guy who's not religious and ate lobster, but he didn't do tshuva, 
Right? So he's doing it a very, he didn't know, but Lamaise has a big effect on his body. But the person who ate lobster and did chuva, the person who did all those things wrong when he was young, whatever it was, and he did chuva, so that person got rid of that Avera, and on top of that, when he sees a lobster, he still, he remembers what it tastes like. To do chuva like, like a gambler, right? A gambler to walk into a casino, or walk by a casino and not feel the game and say, no, I'm walking away from it, right? For him to do that, to burn it out of his whole system that, that he doesn't remember the taste of the, of the gamble is almost impossible. That's almost impossible. That's a level that's, that's, that's beyond. That's like, even a guy who comes out of rehab, he, he still remembers what it does. He understands that it's not good for him to smoke up or whatever it is, but he, he remembers when he smoked up what it was like. So, so a, a person who, who's about tshuva, who, who sins his whole life, and now he does tshuva, he's on a level that the, that the tzaddik can't, can't get to. Because he, he never had that Yitzhara, so he, it doesn't bother him. And that's what the Rambam is saying. He says, don't think that you're, that, he says, Hashem loves you. It's like he never sinned. Listen carefully. And not only this, says the Rambam. His reward is great. Because he tasted this hate. He tasted this sin. And he's able to walk away from it. The Kavash Yitzro. And he's able to control his evil inclination. Therefore, Amr Chachamim, the rabbis say, Makam Shabali Chuba, Oimdim, the place that Bali Chuba stand, ain't Sadiqim, Goimim, Yochel, Mu'amr, boy, the biggest Sadiqim cannot stand there. Kalayma to say, now there's many translations of that, but the Rambam translates it, and he says, Kalayma to say, Malasan, this Balchuba, this guy who was Machala Shabbos, who ate treif, who ate girls, he did every Avera, and now he gave it all away for Hashem. Ma'alasin g'dayla, his ma'ala, his greatness is greater. Me ma'ala is elush lechatu ma'alam. Is greater than the people who never sinned. And they shehein koyshin yotzim yotzimahem. Because for this guy not to do the sin, he has to control, he has to capture his yitzhara much more than the other person. So a person who is not born religious has a chance by doing tshuva, by, by asking forgiveness, by changing his life, has a chance to stand where the greatest, where Moshe Feinstein couldn't stand. Where Moshe Feinstein, lobster didn't bother him, and a cheeseburger didn't bother him. And turning on the Yankees on Shabbos didn't bother him. I'm sure he had his things, but that didn't bother him, because he never lived with that. But these people who went through this, and they're able to be quite the Rambam Paskins, Paskins, and he says that where he stands, the biggest side of the king stands. No, he did. So, 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 and I think that's really the, the goodness of God, and I, and, I, and I speak about this a lot. Everybody goes through stuff. Everyone in this room has gone through stuff. And, and many of us, many of us don't understand why. Don't understand. I deal with physical abuse of every kind. I deal with spiritual abuse of every kind. I deal with kids that have been on drugs. I, I deal with everything. And, 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 the, and the big question is, why me? Why me? Why was I born, I'm not saying my case, but kids ask, why was I born to two parents who got divorced? Hashem has a choice to put every person in any, fa- in any family. Why was I born, right? Hashem had a million people to choose from. Why did he pick them? To, he knew these two were going to get divorced. Why did he put me in that family? Why did he put me in a family with, my, with, with a father that, 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 that physically abuses me and beats the hell out of me all the time? Why couldn't he give me this guy's father who's the nicest guy? He takes his kids to the Yankee game. He's the sweetest guy. Why did he put me in an irreligious family? He could have put me in the middle of Williamsburg. Why did he put me here? Why did he put me there? Why did he put me in a poor family? 
Why could I be next door? Hashem has a choice to take any one of us that's sitting in this room and give us the perfect parents and a perfect family and a perfect everything. So the question is, why me? Good question. Why me? And kids ask that all the time. Why me? Why was I born? See, there's certain things we have no choice. We have no choice who our parents are. We have choices in life, good and bad, to make. But some of the choice, some choices we don't have. Constantly, a young girl gets attacked by, by 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 someone. I mean, I have this all the time. Physically abused by this one, by that one, by this one. Why Hashem? Why did you do this to me? Why? What? Wasn't my choice. I didn't say I want this, right? Verbal abuse and physical abuse and 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 and, and it's not my choice. So if it's not my choice, it means Hashem chose it for me. So one second, that means Hashem a very mean person. You chose to give me parents that are going to get divorced. You chose to give me a father that beats the hell out of me. You chose to put me in a yeshiva where the Rebbe or, or the situation where, where I get totally smashed to the ground. You chose to put me in a neighborhood. You chose to give me poor parents. So then you're a mean God. You have a choice to put me anywhere. Why me? There's certain things we have no choice. No choice. The three things that Abraham Avinu, right? My Artsakha, were you born? I was born in the USA. I wasn't born in Switzerland. I wasn't born in Israel. I wasn't born in Alaska. I was born in a certain hospital in a certain place, grown up between certain people in a certain neighborhood. I had no choice. Nobody came to me as a baby and said, so, you're two days old. Where do you want to live? Alaska? You like it cold? How about Miami? Nobody asked me anything. So, my Artsakha, nobody has a choice where you're born in what land. Maladakha, who your family is, who your father is, no choice. So those things that you have no choice means that God chose it for you. If God chose you something and you don't, it's not fair, right? Did you chose this for me? That means that means that God is not fair. He liked this guy better than me. This guy gave parents. They're the best parents in the world. They never got divorced. They're sweet. They have money. So what did he do to deserve this? And I didn't do to deserve this. So in all the Sifrei Musa, and this is something that's very important for all of us, in all the Sifrei Musa, is that the family that you're born to, and the situation that you're born into, and even your, your Midos, your Teva of who you are, was given to you, all those situations, to help other people that are in the same situation as you. In other words, person that's born, and his parents are abusive, you're the only one that can understand that a kid whose parents are abusive. A person who's born not religious. You know, the first thing when I go speak out of town is people come over to me before I speak and say, Hi, Rabbi Wallstein, you, you weren't religious when you were a kid, right? I'm like, yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We, your father wasn't a priest? I'm like, no, I'm not one of those speakers. No. Um, were you like a rock star? I played the drums a little bit for Nagina, but no, no. You know, not really. How about a drug addict? I'm like, Tylenol, Advil. <laughs> not really. And, and they look at me like, what a loser. Like, how can you get up and speak? You have no experience. True. How do I get up and speak to, about, to people who were born in a religious family? How do I understand them? My parents were religious from the day I was born. How do I speak to kids who are on drugs? I was never on drugs. Right? So, if I was on drugs, even though that time of my life was painful, and I went through a lot of pain, and I went through a lot of pain coming out of it, but then I could walk into a rehab, 
right? And say, hey, I used to have track marks on my hand. I know what this word means. I know what that word means. I know what it means to be on, on this and be on that. And all of a sudden, everyone's, wow, and you made it? And you made it and you're a rabbi? Then I could also make it. I can't do that. Because I can't say I was on heroin or coke and I made it. So I don't have that common denominator. Because the Baruch Hu gave me other things that I went through that I bring to the table. Drugs was not one of them. Because Hashem said, that's not your thing. But there's going to be guys that are going to go through drugs and they're going to come back. And those are the guys that are going to be able to help kids on drugs. And there's going to be guys that are going through gambling and guys that are going through... Whatever people are going through. So therefore, whatever we have to go through, we are going through in order to help somebody else that is going through the same thing. So if we have abusive parents, then we could say, well, my father knocked the hell out of me too. But you know what? Instead of feeling sorry for myself and, and becoming depressed, I made something out of myself. And the kid's going to go, really? Wow, then I can also. And that's why a person is born in a non-religious home. Because his test is to become religious and be able to tell a kid, I was Mechal Shabbos. I know what lobster tastes like. I ate cheeseburgers. Let me tell you something. I'm not going to mention her name. But there's someone that works with me. Now, I'm in Chinuch for 30 years with kids that are not religious. What this girl can do, five minutes with a non-religious girl, I can't do. I can't do it. Because she grew up non-religious. She went to Burger King. She knows what shrimp is. She knows a bunch of other things. She grew up really, you know, in a tough neighborhood. And, and the minute a girl walks into my office who's not religious, and she starts talking to her, that girl's hers. Because they, they speak the same language. I can't. Yeah, I could talk about rock and roll. I was, you know, I was into it, whatever I was into. But, so whatever a person goes through in life, if you don't use it to help someone else, then you abused it. And you wasted it. And then you didn't have to go through that at all. And with the greatest, the greatest riot from that is Esther HaMalka. Esther HaMalka, Mordechai says to Esther HaMalka, if you don't go in front of Achashverosh now, then you and your whole household is lost. So they asked the question, why was he trash-talking her? So if she doesn't want to go in front of Achashverosh because she's scared, she's going to die. So say, if you don't go, someone else will go. Hashem has other people to help. No. You don't go? You're lost? Ubeisavicha is lost. Mordechai, what are you doing? Why are you trash-talking Esther? So the Medrash answers it. And the Medrash says that Esther Amalka's father died when, she, when her mother was three, one, three months pregnant. Esther Amalka's mother, you can imagine when he died, what they said by the Leviah guys? Could you imagine what they said by the Leviah? What a mean, terrible God. This guy's wife is pregnant three months, he'll never get to see his child. Right? By the Leviah. You can imagine what people were thinking. What happens? Six months later, her mother... On delivery of Esther Hamalk, Esther at that time, she dies in delivery. Can you imagine that, Leviah? What kind of God is this? Her father died, she never met. At least you could have let her have a mother who's going to come to PTA. She has no parents, right? I would have gone to Leviah and I would have said, Ah, Shem, I don't understand. I don't understand. Meanwhile, what happened? Mordechai saw Nevoah. Then Haman told Achashverosh, Achashverosh said, what are you messing with the Jews for? Every guy that messed with the Jews lost. Paro, everybody. Rome's gone, everybody's gone. Are you crazy? We're not going to mess with the Jews. Haman said, I'm different than all of them. 
I'm from Esav. Esav. Esav had the biggest kibbutz of Ein. Yaakov Avinu was away. Esav had the biggest kibbutz of Ein. And therefore, Achashverosh, you have nothing to worry about. My kibbutz of Ein, my grandfather's kibbutz of Ein, will protect us against the Jews. Akashbaruch Hu knew this. God knew this. And there was a problem. Because Esav used to put his suit on, Shabbos suit, before he gave his father a plate of soup. That's how his kibbutz of Ein used to be. Akashbaruch Hu knew there'd be a problem. So God had to create the enemy of Haman, somebody who never ever disrespected her parents. The, the line came so, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the what? He lied to his father. You know, when he when he when he was asked that he went out to. Uh, he didn't lie. Huh? Esav didn't lie. Yaakov Yaakov didn't lie, but whatever. Esav didn't lie. No. So so it was a big problem. So Hashem made it that that there would be a person Esther, who her father. And her mother would be dead when she's born. So her whole life she could never do anything wrong to them. On top of that, her whole life she davened to Hashem that I feel bad that I don't have parents, I can't do kibbutz of aim. So Machshaba Kamaisa. So when his, when the Malach of, of Haman, the Medrash, when the Malach of Haman came up to Shemayim and said, kibbutz of aim, Hashem said, yeah, well the one that's going to take down Haman has a better kibbutz of aim. Because she's a tzaddikistah. She never did anything wrong to her parents. And she always wanted to keep it of aim. She cried every day that she didn't have the mitzvah to keep it of aim. Therefore, Haman had no power. Therefore, Haman was able to be destroyed. So what did Mordechai say to Esther? Mordechai said to Esther, that the whole reason your mother and father died was so that you would have the power to overcome Haman and destroy him. But if you don't go to Achashverosh and you don't save the Jewish nation... Then base of then your mother and father died for nothing. And what did they have to die for? The only reason they died is so you should be able to beat Haman. If you don't want to go up against Haman, they could have lived, they could have gone to PTA, they could have taken the ice skating. The only reason they died was to say, therefore, if you didn't stand up at this moment, the whole thing was wasted. Guys, all of us in this room, all the suffering that you had until this day, whether it was your parents, whether it's business, whatever you're suffering, everyone in this room knows what he went through that wasn't his choice. That wasn't his choice. What you went through, that's your choice, too bad on you. Sorry. That's your Bechira. But what you went through, that wasn't your choice. wasn't your choice that you were treated that way. Whatever you went through, if you're not going to use it in your life to help others, then what Mordechai said to, to Esther, he's saying to you, then that whole tkufa of drugs that you did, or that whole tkufa of Averis that you did, is wasted. Because the only reason you went through that was to help others. If you don't help others, then you're lost and that whole situation is lost. And that's what tshuva is about. Tshuva is, is asking forgiveness, but the greatest, I feel, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the greatest tshuva a person can do is to use his averos for mitzvahs. How do you use an avera? I did such terrible things. Is that if you ate lobster and you ate chazer, and you, and, and you were Mechal Shabbos, and you did all these Averis, be able to go to someone and say, I know what lobster tastes like, and I gave it up. I know what it means to be with a girl, and I stopped. I was, I'm shaming the gear, I don't touch him. I know I've been there, and I don't touch him. And the kid's like, what? Like, yeah, you can walk away from it. I thought it's impossible. It's not impossible. I'm an example. I was in the cult music, whether it's heavy metal, or the black, all that garbage. I was there. I went to the concerts. Tina Turner sweat on me. Yeah, what she was singing. Yeah, I'm there. Front row, man. Front row, Grateful Dead. Yeah, 
there. And I'm a musician. And I listen to Kalbach. Huh? You crazy? I'm like, yeah, you could do it. Really? Play drums? I don't believe you. Okay, come, I'll play drums for you. I have no question that, that I had the talent of playing drums. I never went, I never had drum lessons in my life. When I was 13 years old, they needed someone to play drums at a Sheva Brachas in Yeshiva. They put a drum set there. There was no one to play. We had a drum set. We had no one to play. So I sat down. I said, okay, I, I know how to bang on a table. I was banging on a table. It made my red band crazy. I tried to bang on the drums. And all of a sudden, I started playing. And all of a sudden, I realized that I could listen to music. It goes in my ear. It comes out my hands. I don't even have to read notes. And I started playing drums. And I never realized why I was playing. I thought I played drums to annoy everyone on the block. That's why I shamed it. And then I realized, as I became a Rebbe, that when I play drums, the kids are like freaking out. You play drums and you're a Rebbe? That's crazy. You play basketball? You play hockey? You play baseball and you're a Rebbe? I had this crazy outside shot. Not normal. I mean, you can ask my friends. Growing up, I had a, a three-point shot, eight out of ten. A jump shot. A white boy jump shot. Okay? <laughs> not normal. I have no knees left. And I never understood. Why would you give me this talent? I'm not, you know, I, I'm not naturally... Don't have the talent to be like, and, and I was a great basketball player in camp and everywhere. And I realized that's for you to, so you can go on the court and you, and you should be the high scorer. So when you get off the court, and some kid's like, wow, he's on, he's on the camp team. Like, wow, you know, he, look at that shot. You can put your arm around that kid and say, what's up? And you're his idol. So some people are given money, money and fancy watches and fancy cars because that's what kids look up to. If you drive around in your fancy car and your money, and that's what you think it's for, Hashem didn't give it to you for that. It's so that you are successful in business, so you can walk in and say to a bunch of kids in a drug rehab, hey, I had a tough life, I opened the business, I worked hard, I dive into Hashem three times a day, and now I got millions. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why you got the millions. Is to use whatever you went through, whatever pain that you went through. That's the real tshuva. That's the real tshuva me'ava. To take what you went through in life that wasn't your choice, or even if it was your choice, and use that to help other people. And all of us have something in our life that you could use to help somebody else. It doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be physical abuse. It could be just different things that you went through hard times in your life that you could explain to someone that right now you're going in a hard time. Listen, this is what happened to me, and you can make it. That's what it's here for. Okay, so I want to end... This is very, very important. That's why we go through stuff. You know, uh, Rabbi Stern, one of my students, he told me this story many years ago. I don't know if it's true. I think it's true. There was this um, group of Israeli paratroopers who were um, special forces. And they had a, a mission in Syria, behind the, behind the lines in Syria. And they were very scared. At that time, the Mossad, there was stuff, you know, there was leaks. So they were very scared to tell anybody anything because they didn't want the Syrians to know that they were coming. There were five guys. Five guys and like a lieutenant that was leading them. And they didn't get debriefed. They got onto this plane. They're paratroopers. They got onto the plane and they asked the lieutenant, what's the mission? And he said, I'm not telling you. Well, what's each one of us supposed to do on the mission? I'm not telling you. So like, why not? Because we can't give that information until you land. Until you're, you're on enemy soil, we're scared that there's a leak. So they're like, but, but what, what's... Okay, so don't tell me what the mission is, but what, what is my part of the mission? There's five of us. He said, we're going to give each one of you a backpack. 
you're going to parachute. When you hit the ground, you'll open your backpack. You'll know everything you need to know. Okay? So they give each one a backpack. They jump out the door of the, of the plane. They land. First guy opens up his backpack. He's got a radio. He says, okay, you don't have to be a, uh, a brain surgeon. I guess I'm the radio man. Puts on the radio. He's got his stuff on. He's ready to go. Next guy opens up. He's got a huge, long rifle with a sniper scope. He goes, all right, I know what I got to do. I'm the sniper. Next guy opens up his backpack. He has an anti-tank uh, launcher. He says, I know what I got to do. Each guy opens up his backpack, and each guy, by opening up his backpack, knew exactly what he had to do. So Rabbi Stern, when he said over the story, he said it's the same thing with a person. He says, everyone go home tonight and look in your backpack. What are you good at? What are you good at? What's your kayak? What's your strength? What are you good at? You good at computers? If you're good at computers, then your mission on this world is to do something with computers like TorahAnytime.com, <laughs> right? To bring Torah to the world. Perfect example. You think Hashem gave him kayak and computers. Why does he have, he has a brain for computers? I don't. Because his, his talk is to look at, I'm good at computers. What am I doing with computers all day? I'm making money. Where's that going to take me in the next world? But I'm going to put a share online, 10 share of 100 share of 1,000 share right? And I'm going to splice this computer, that computer, I don't even know what they do, right? And the whole world's going to be able to see Torah. And the same thing who did, who, the guy who did on the telephone, right? The same thing with Kololoshan. He took a telephone, right? He took his, his, he's also in computers. He took a telephone, look what he did with it. And a person who's a lawyer, you think Hashem gave you the power to be a lawyer and a good speaker so that you should defend some killer rapist guy? You think that's why Hashem gave you the kayak? Give the kayak to be a lawyer because maybe some Jewish kid needs a good lawyer for free. And the one time that you'll do it for him for free, that's the whole reason you were given it. And, and there's another guy who's good in construction. So he's there to help Jewish people build houses and build shuls. And there's a, every, another guy's good in architect. Another guy's good in drug. You got to go into your backpack tonight. And you got to say, I don't, Hashem didn't tell me my mission. We're not born with a, with a fortune cookie. You know, baby, open up your fortune cookie. We can, oh, oh, this is your mission in life. Your mission, you know, mission impossible. Your mission is, in 10 seconds, it's going to self-disintegrate. All right, no. We're not told what our mission is. So how do I know why I'm here? You're a good speaker. You know how to talk. I thought, I honestly thought, that I had Kreach Hadibur, the Kreach to speak. First of all, I never knew I had Kreach Hadibur to start with. Because I was the one kid in Yeshiva Spring Valley that had speech problems. Alright? So I didn't think I would ever be able to speak publicly. That's number one. But number two, I thought Hashem gave it to me to be a good salesman. To make a lot of money. To be able to walk in and sell you anything. Hashem gave me the Kayach Hadibur to give Shiurim. Now imagine if I went through my whole life, guys, and I never gave a Shir. And I never gave a Shir. But I'm a great salesman. I could sell plastic bags over your head. I could sell plastic bags in the desert. That's what I do. I, for those who are looking at me, why? I, ma- we manufacture plastic bags. That's what I sell. Right? Great salesman. I come up to Shemayim after 120 years. Number one salesman in Brooklyn, Wallerstein, Blockbuster, and Barnes and Noble. Wow. What do you say, God, huh? God says, show him the movie. What movie? Show him the movie why I gave him the, the power of speech. I'm like, to sell bags, No. And they show me a movie with two and a half thousand girls in Ornava, hundreds of guys here, hundreds of people watching a video, hundreds of people listening to Shiorim. Maybe at this point, I don't know, maybe Shiorim-wise, 
100,000 hours at least. At least more than 100,000 hours of shirim. Right? Okay, that's just, I know, it's just to make up for all the hours I missed as a kid. So I'm still way behind, don't worry. That's why I need my shir to get bigger. Because every hour I give to you guys, it's multiplied by every single guy in here. So if there's 100 guys in here, when I give a shir for an hour, it's like 100 hours. So I have to make up about two and a half million hours that I missed. But we're getting there. But do you understand? I'd be standing there and saying, what shir? What are you talking about? And I would have missed the whole reason I'm in this world. Because I never looked at my backpack and said, with Hashem gave me power of Dibor, power to tell a good story, right? I could have been on story time. Right? That's what I could have been doing my whole life. Maybe I could have been an actor. But that's, if a Jewish guy is good at acting, so go do jet plays. There's stuff to do. Right? Anything that you have, any talent that you have, is given to help HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. To be Makar of Klai Yisrael HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So all of us need to go into our bags tonight and say, what am I good at? Now, some of you are going to come up with nothing. <laughs> right? Someone's going to say, Rabbi Wallerstein, I went into my bag. I'm not good at anything. So that guy has to talk to everyone about being modest and being an unov. Because if a guy could look into his bag and say, I'm not good at anything, that means he's a very modest person. Mm-hmm. Then you should go talk to people who, who look in their bag and say, I'm good at everything. Right? You could say, you go to a kid and say, you know, I looked at myself, I can't find anything I'm good at. And the kid was like, no, you're good at this, you're good at that. Even finding in your bag that you're not good at anything, that's something big. It means you're not a big shot, you're not a big balgaiva. Maybe, that's what we need to do. Look at our bags and say, eh, I'm not really so good at anything. Maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. But we all know what we're good at, and we're supposed to know what we're good at. And we're supposed to use that for Kodesh Baruch Hu. So, we got two minutes left. There's a, a, an interesting story about um, the difference between Tshuva Me'ava, Tshuva Me'ira. Of course, Hashem is very happy if everyone in this room is going to ask forgiveness from God because you're scared you're going to burn in hell. Okay, that's Tshuva Me'ira. You know, I don't want to burn in hell. I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to lose my hair. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose that. It's all about what I don't want to lose. That's Tshuva Me'ira. It's acceptable. But what Hashem really wants is Tshuva Me'ava. It's that a person should do Tshuva because you love Hashem. Sort of, it's a cute story. There's this chicken, there's this guy who, this I never said this story before. There's a guy um, in the army, and there, you know, there's a bunch of tough guys. There's one coward. In the whole unit, there's one coward. And one night, they're sitting there, they're facing the Arabs, right? They're waiting for the Syrian army. It's a, it's a six-day war, Yom Kippur war, whatever it was. And this guy's mama's a coward. He's like, he's scared of everything. And they're sitting there, and they're, they're cooking up soup for supper, you know, to eat. And everyone's sitting around the campfire in the desert, Judean desert. And all the Israeli soldiers, you know, they're, they're waiting for the, to the soup. And the soup's really boiling. And all of a sudden, the lookout says, the tanks are coming. The Syrians are coming. Everybody jumps. They jump into their tanks, right? Fine. Meanwhile, they have this uh, a couple of guys are like cavalry. You know, they have horses, like cavalry. They go into the, with the horses where, where tanks can't go, wherever it is. And he's one of those guys. Anyway, the guys jump onto their horses. Everyone takes off. He's sitting there. Right? By the, by the, by the fire. He's like, I'm not going against these Syrians. Like, I'm scared. But he knows if he doesn't go, he's a deserter. He's gonna get shot. So he takes his time. He takes the soup. He fills up, it's burning hot soup. He fills up his canteen. Right? With the soup. He closes the lid. Puts it over the horse's saddle. Gets onto the horse. Right? He gets onto the horse. All of a sudden, the canteen, he didn't close the, the top well. The canteen, the top opens, and the burning hot soup goes onto the flanks to the side of the horse. 
the horse takes off like a maniac, right? Goes flying in, the guy's screaming. He's screaming, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want, he wants the horse to stop, right? He's screaming. Syrians are coming. This Meshuggah on a horse, right? He's flying. This Israeli guy screaming. The horse is flying. The Syrians take one look at this in the middle of the night. They think that the Messiah is coming, right? They think it's uh, on his horse, you know? <laughs> flying horse. They all turn around. Oh my goodness, the Messiah of the Jews is on a horse. He's coming out of screaming. The horse is going nuts because it's burnt totally, right? And the Arabs turn around. They run for their lives. The general standing there is like, what happened to Yehuda? You know, this is not like Yehuda. He's a big coward. Anyway, the horse finally slows down. They call this, he comes in, they're like, he's the champion. And they're like, Yehuda, when did you get so brave? You know, I, I want to call you a coward, but you know, every time we have something, like, you know, you're a coward. You know, and what happened? He said, I'll tell you the truth. I filled up my canteen, and it was full of hot soup, and I forgot to close the top, and the horse got burnt. So the, the general says, so then we don't have to thank you, we have to thank the horse. Because it had nothing to do with you. The horse was running on its own. Dugmahamagid says this. So when a person does chuva miyira, listen carefully, it's very deep. When a person does chuva miyira, Hashem said, who did chuva here? Not the person. Gehenim. He was scared of the fire of Gehenim. So it's not because he wanted forgiveness. It's not him charging at the Syrians. It's Gehenim charging at the Syrians. He doesn't want to get burnt. It's not him. It's his fear of punishment. So what's doing tshuva? Punishment is causing the tshuva. Punishment deserves a thank you. So when you come up, you do tshuva miyir, Hashem say, thank you, thank you that I have a Gehenim. If I didn't have a Gehenim, this guy wouldn't do tshuva. If I didn't have Yisurim of pain and sicknesses and punishments, he wouldn't have done tshuva. So it's not up to the person. It's because of all the other punishments. Tshuva me'ava comes because the person loves God. Because the person understands and appreciates what a Baruch Hu did for him. If a person appreciates what a Baruch Hu did for him, then he's on the level of being a son. And if you're on the level of being a son, then you have a very special court case. And it's a very different court case. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we should all be able to go into that court in Rosh Hashanah. And that court is as follows. It's brought down, I don't know if it's brought down in the Zaya, and I'm ending with this. It says that when a person dies, he comes to the next world. There are three courts. There's the courts of the angels, the courts of the rabbis, and the courts of God. Rav Shimon Bayechai, yes, it is a Zaya. Because Rav Shimon Bayechai says, he came back and he said, I went straight to Gan Eden because I went to the court of God. So what does that mean? He said the following, anyone who goes to the court of God comes out innocent all the time, 100% of the time. Anyone who goes into the court of the rabbis comes out 50-50. Anyone who comes, you have, a, you have a half, 50, 50 chance you'll come out okay. Anyone who goes to the court of the angels comes out always guilty. So they asked him why. He says, the angels have no patience for us. They don't, they don't understand us. They talk to Moshe Ben. They don't understand how God can give us life, give us a Torah and a mouth and eyes and all this to be able to do mitzvot, which they can't do. They can't do tillin, they can't do tzitzit, they can't make a bracha, right? So they're very jealous of us and they can't understand if we're given such a present, how can we go around all day do averot? So if you go to their court before you even walk in and they see you, they smell a human being, right? Fee five four fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman, goodbye. Have a nice day. You're down the beanstalk. You've had it. You're finished, you're guilty. For all those who don't know what that is, that's Jack and the uncle and the beanstalk, I'll tell you the story a different time. <laughs> so anyone who goes to that court, you're done. The middle court 
is the rabbi's court. Rabbi's court are the rabbis of our generation. They understand you're born in America. There's a lot of pressure. There's this and that. They'll give you a chance. Maybe yes, maybe no. The court of Hashem is the court of a father and his child. There's no judge in the world who is a true father to his child who will ever come out guilty. He'll find a reason. He'll lose the, the what's it called? He'll lose the, um, the evidence. Oh, the evidence was misplaced. Oh, we can't find that tape. The father will make sure that the kid knows before the court case what he needs to say. A judge, a father, that's why a, a child, that's why halach is, that a child can't have his father as a judge because he's in the Gebedava. So, Hashem, if you go into that court, you walk in as Hashem's child, you're innocent. No matter what Adairu you did, Hashem will find a way out. So they asked Rabbi Shimon why were you picked to go to that? How do you get picked? Who in this room goes to the angels? Who goes to the rabbis? And who goes to Hashem? So he said, no, he said the following. He said, a person who comes to God, and you sit there tonight, and you talk to God like he's your father. Dad, you gave me everything. I, I can't believe I did this to you. And you talk to him, and you treat Hashem like your father. Then when you come up to the next world, your neshama has a right to walk in to the courtroom of your father, of Hashem. So therefore, there are three courts, like a traffic court. One court, it says on the outside, children only. If you were a child to Hashem your whole life, you can walk into that court. You walk in one door, guilty, you come out innocent. You have nothing to worry about. The rabbi's court, if you treated rabbis your whole life with respect, right, and derech then you have a right to go into the rabbi's court. But if you're the guy in shul who walks out and says, that rabbi, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's this, he's that. You don't have kvot Torah. This rabbi I have no respect for. This rabbi I don't like. So now, you come to the rabbi's court and you say, please, please let me in. Please judge me. And they're like, no, no, no. How can we judge you fairly? Your whole life you talked against us. We can't judge you fairly. We're, we, 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 you don't want us. You said how wrong we are, how stupid we are, how we pick on everybody. You didn't have kvot harav. You can't come in here. So now the guy's stuck. He has to end up going to the malachim. So really, it's in all our hands in which room in the next world we're going to walk into. If we make fun of rabbis, we're going to have to walk into the angel room. You don't have a chance, no matter what you're going to say. If you're good with rabbis, at least you can get into that room. If you're good with God, and it's a vino malkeinu, right? And it's a, then therefore, HaKadosh Baruch will accept you. And that's why, and my bracha to everyone here is, that is why the last vino malkeinu that we say by the way, we say Avinu Malkeinu, you know, we say Avinu Malkeinu uh, by Ni'il also. Avinu Malkeinu on Yom Kippur, this year we don't say. Because it's Shabbos, only one time. By Ni'il. You have to say Avinu Malkeinu on Yom Kippur. So even though we don't say Avinu Malkeinu whole Yom Kippur, we don't say it. But Ni'il, the last second when, you, when, you, when you're begging for your life, you've got to tell Hashem you're my father. You've got to say Avinu Malkeinu. So even on Shabbos, when you never, ever say Avinu Malkeinu, Ni'il, you say Avinu Malkeinu. And what is the last Avino Malkeno that you say? Avino Malkeno, my father, my, my king. Chaneinu va'aneinu. Have pity on us. And answer us. We're no good. We're not coming to your courtroom. My father's courtroom and saying, I'm a tzaddik. No, I, I did this all wrong. I need a favor, dad. You're the judge. I need you to look the other way. We don't have any good deeds. I say imanu. Do with us tzedakah v'chesed v'hoshienu. Do with us charity 
and kindness and save us. Why should you do that? Because I love you, Hashem. Because I did tshuva me'ahava. Because I did tshuva because I love you. And the main reason? Because you're Avinu. Because you're my father. And if we go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu like that, to Rosh Hashanah, to Yom Kippur, for the next two weeks, and we do tshuva like that, there's no question, there's 100% a guarantee that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just like everyone in the courtroom upstairs, if we go into the courtroom of our father, we're forgiven this year, we're also going to the courtroom. It doesn't mean only when you die. It means at Rosh Hashanah too. Where are you going to be judging? Which room? And if we go into the courtroom of Avinu, Malkeinu, for sure HaKadosh Baruch Hu will forgive us. He'll forgive the whole Klai Yisrael. He'll bring us Mashiach. But the main thing is that you need to look into your bag that Hashem gave you and find all those precious things, whether they were good things or they were bad things, and use them to help Klai Yisrael. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.